Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social worker. And, of course, with our host, co-host, Harav Nissim. What a pleasure and an honor. The number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And I'll give you a text number, but again, texts are only for either comments, but if you really want to ask a question, to please call it in because we go with the voice questions. So the text is 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. I first would like to start off with a nice, big, huge mazel tov. And that is, I've been working for several years, uh, at least two, two and a half years, with writing a book. And Baruch Hashem, it has gone to print on this Friday and should be coming out, Merit Hashem, in the next two weeks in stores. And the book is called Alive, 10 Steps to a Vibrant Life. They're basically taken from 10 of the most important sessions that I work with people, concepts that we discuss on the radio. And while people love it on audios, what I found is there's been a huge request for to have them written down. So just to tell you a couple of the chapters of the 10 chapters of the book. First one is about learning self-esteem. This is meant for adults or for teenagers. And we've got over there about 90 different points, how to build your self-esteem, ways to do it. Unlock self-acceptance. That's chapter two about learning to make mistakes, breaking the perfectionist that we discuss all the time. Here we've got it written down in the chapter. Chapter three is about always going through the new beginning stages. Keep on growing. Chapter four is about learning to, are we going to make our own choices? Or are we just going to follow what has been given to us? And again, that chapter is Chas Hashem, not talking about halacha or minhagim, just talking about Social norms, are we just caught in the rat race? Number five, so important. Chapter five, we always hear about people asking, you know, can I say no, setting boundaries, the importance of setting boundaries and not to feel guilty re regarding that. And we'll give you some more of the chapters as we go along. Again, the number to call in is 718-683-5858. And again, humbly thank the Rabbi Nishleilam for letting this work out. And for each and every one of you, especially for J-Root Radio, for giving me the chizuk and the belief in me that it's possible to come out with a book after being on the radio. Everything seems easy. Anyhow, let's go ahead to our first caller. Who do we have on? Okay, Miss Y. And I want to say, first of all, uh, to you, Mazal Tov and Bracha And I believe that this book will be influence and help a lot, a lot of people. And really, we are proud to, uh, to be part of uh, your life, uh, <laughs> Thank okay. you. Definitely part of the lifeline. What okay. gave me the kayak and the strength to go ahead. Miss Y. Miss Y. Hello, Miss Y. All right. Hello, Miss Y. Yes. 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 Okay. So um, um, I always knew that tears is a gift from Hashem, but by me, I feel like. It's a problem or a punishment because it really happens often to me. Okay. Like the minute someone hurts me, tears, um, I start crying or. Excellent. Yes. I mean, that's very true. Anything that we have too much, not balanced, will either be a brach or a klala. Yes. I agree. Thank you for the comment. So sometimes I feel like such a baby, like the teacher saw me crying, and I feel so silly. Or... Yes, that definitely is a feeling that people would feel if they have something and it's not balanced. Do you have a question? So, yeah, how could I control 
Sometimes I feel like I wish I could control my tears. Ah, now let's start with, as we were just discussing in, in the first chapter of the book, self-esteem. How is your self-esteem? How do you rate your self-esteem, your belief that you're okay, you're good? From 1 to 10, 10 being the strongest. Um, I would say like 5. Oh, that's pretty healthy, actually. Now, what about the next level? What about people, if they have criticism to you, how do you handle criticism? Um, From 1 to 10. 10 means people can criticize you and bounce completely off. 1 means it hurts you and you're in pain every second. 1. All right. So there's, these are part of the levels that we learn in the self-esteem, that when we have a real value of ourselves, we're allowed to have others disagree, we're allowed to have other people even attack us, and we will feel safe. And that's where that chapter number five in the book, well, I guess since it's not out yet, I'll be telling you at least in the programs here, I came prepared, and I got the, the numbers that you could listen to on the phone line for free, and that's number 39 in section one about the beauty of saying no, how to learn to say no, how to have your own place where you're at. So but why would it be that way? Like, I know that I'm good. I know that I'm good at it. But if someone comes and tells me that I'm really sure about myself, sometimes I can feel like I'm really sure about myself, but if someone comes to me and tells me it's not really nice or it's not really good, I feel very... I do feel like... Um, all right, so let's first go ahead. First, we've got over here... Um, First, let's just start. we got a couple of Mazel Tovs on the book. Thank you, and especially from Marav over here from this program. Thank you, too. You put a huge, huge smile on my face. So I'm really, really impressed by that. Thank you for all the Mazel Tovs. Uh, let's go. Let's, let's help you understand a little about yourself, which is so important because it'll, it'll help so many people understand really what's going on in our brain. The, the top part of our brain, which is about three-quarters of our brain, and by the way, all this is in the book as well, just for people to understand themselves. So besides the ten chapters, I then have divided three separate chapters in understanding how we work and going into the subconscious, explaining each part of the brain on just such a simple basis. And it was really, a, you know, I think it'll be very clear. And this concept you'll get in the book as well. Three-quarters of the top part of our brain is called the cerebral cortex. That's the part of our brain that thinks. Then we have around a little bull, about a small, um, think about the size of a fist, probably less than that, half the size of a fist, and that's called the limbic system. And that's the emotional part of the brain. And what people need to recognize, and maybe that will help you about yourself, is that logically the cerebral part of your brain is up to date. It's your age. You understand that someone disagrees with you and it shouldn't bother you. That's logically. But you're feeling the emotion, the limbic system might have been hurt and might be sad and might be afraid. And it's a different part of the brain that's feeling hurt. It's the emotional part of the brain. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like only in, it's not like only hurt. Like, let's say my sister got engaged like a few months ago. And it was so emotional as a child. By the entire gate, by the vart, I was like in tears. I couldn't control my tears. I was so emotional. Right. Again, I I would I would need to know what else is going on. I don't want to do that on air because we'd want to find out how's your family. Are they very emotional? Is there a lot of anxiety? Is there a lot of stress there? 
Um, are you overwhelmed with a lot of stuff? Do you do a lot? Do you always feel you have to do things perfect? Notice all these questions I'm asking. I don't want you to answer because you sound like you're a teenager and I don't want any of that information on air. I just want you to realize that when people have too many emotions and it's not balanced, we want to also know what else is happening in the family levels. Is there a parent that's very strict or very tough that there's a little fear going on? Which means we want children and adults and teenagers, I should say, to have the emotional balance. And if there's a lot of not emotional balance in the family, like sometimes when kids cry, it's the only time that parents will really listen to them, then it's a safety mechanism to cry or to need or to get upset because that's the only language that we can survive. Then to change that isn't safe. Right. So the number to call in for those of you that would like to ask your question or comment is 718-683-5858. I'll tell you. So that's the only reason why I'm not going too deep into your question. There could be more to it, and I'm concerned. I don't want to do that on air. Okay, I understand that. Great. So I just want you to realize you so that it's possible, it's possible to help. Just find someone that will help you tune in. Why the tears? Why are the tears coming and what's happening? Okay, that's, thanks that's, so much. Exactly, sure. The number to call in is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858 for any of the questions that you've got. All right, we're going to take over here a question, um, a text. Hi, uh, Mordechai. Uh, first of all, I want to say that the text coming and say Mazal Tov. Ah. And especially from our dear Rabbi Uri Nahum and other people that uh, just text us and uh, really uh, appreciate the, the phone, the, the text messages. So again, I am enjo- I'm, I'm joined them, say Mazel Tov. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you reading them because it would sound, yeah. One of them is, thanks for putting your time into the book. Maybe Zechah to continue doing what you do for Klal Yisrael. I can tell you this book, the free time that I had, like officially the Sundays that I didn't work with clients, I'd say at least five hours every Sunday or between Matzah Shabbos and Sunday on a, on a minimum average was about five hours. And I was thinking about maybe doing the next book, working on it. My wife said, no, 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 no. I actually started the next book and now we put it on hold. Just need like this is the first Matzah Shabbos Sunday that there's like just no projects going on. And my wife says, You're, it's, I'm just a different person. So, Baruch Hashem, for that, I thank the Rabbi Shlelem. Again, the number to call is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Your host, Mordechai Weinberg, LCSW, and Hirav Nissen here together. Let's go ahead and take one or two questions. I've been at a, two, a few top marital therapists, and they couldn't help my marriage. My husband heard of a Rav who was great in helping couples, whose marriage was on the verge of divorce. I called a Rav, and he was putting down many therapists. I was turned off. What does Rabbi Weinberger feel? Well, first of all, I respect Rabbanim. And if a Rav puts down many therapists, they're probably right which therapists that they were putting down. And there's a huge level to Kayach and to the Svarah of Taira. And if a Rav's got success, go ahead. I always tell people the Rav is you contact the Rav before you contact the therapist. Now, as about saying all therapists, let's see if you would have said every therapist isn't good, then we'd probably speak to the Rav and find out what the Rav, what the Rav is saying. But again, doesn't sound to me, I mean, most Rabbanim that I know all have it, all work with, um, I mean, I work with Rabbanim all the time. There are always halacha shayels involved, and Rabbanim greatly respect therapists, and they work along with them. Hi, Mordechai, thank you so much for your show. It really helps me a lot. I'm married for two years. For the first year of my marriage, my parents supported me financially. I was always showed my appreciation for whatever they gave. 
Baruch Hashem, my parents do not have to support me financially anymore. And Baruch Hashem, we could support ourselves. My mother thinks that I have to do what she wants exactly the way she wants. I feel it really affects my marriage. How do I deal with it? Well, for those of you that know anything about me, I'm always sharing about that a level when it comes to the mitzvah's kibbutz of aim, and we'll have our Rav Nissen weigh in on this with as well, is um, you always got to work with the Rav. Why? Because there's a mitzvah kibbutz of aim, and like all mitzvahs, there are times when yes, there are times when no, and then there's the middle ground. And sometimes there's a balance. And when kids get married, there is a whole new level. And the balance that we need to have is something that, it, that is there at all times. Remember, as the Gemara says, Mrs. Kibbut of Aim is the mitzvah of Yamim. And as the Gemara says, it's not talking about only on this world, talking about on the next world. That's why, unfortunately, when we see sometimes people that they are Makayim, the Mrs. Kibbut of Aim on a huge level, the Nifta Young, the Gemara says it's talking about in that world. And it's in the Aserah Sadibris. On the other hand, we all know that once parents' job is to raise children to what level, to get them on the derech, to be able to continue the avoidus HaKadosh, continue to do mitzvahs and mice and type in their house where they become now new king and queen. And there's a balance of parents helping out and a balance of parents not helping out. And the level of control many times... I'll tell you the difficult part. The difficult part is that we're making it sound like like those parents bashing. My mother's still in control. What happens if you weren't listening and you weren't healthy or completely done with everything you had to do and now you're getting married and your parents are so worried about how your marriage is going to be affected? They might do it out of love. At the same time, they might do it the other way, that they might not know how to let go. So therefore, your question just via text needs to have a rub where you speak to, someone that you're close to, Someone that knows the situation and can help set up the healthy boundaries. Rav Nissen, what are you saying? By the way, people, we haven't gotten any callers, and feel free to have the callers coming in. 718-683-5858-7183-5858. Oh, that's nice. We got over here a question. What does a forward by Rabbi Tversky mean? Yes, I guess I should be telling you. The book has Haskamets for Rabbanim. And also Dr. Abraham Tversky has written a foreword. What it means is that not only did he give like an endorsement, but he even wrote a couple of pages um, regarding the importance of this book and how to use this book. And he practically loved this book because it's utilizing all those other tools out there. But let's go back to the question, Harvinism. It's not mother-in-law. It's just... Uh... And I saw that uh, a lot of confliction with, uh, conflict with uh, mother-in-law and... Um... Uh, you know, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, all this stuff. But I said that uh, the Torah also said that you know, in a certain way, you, you have your boundary, as, as, as Rabbi Mordechai said, you have to create your own house, your own home. And this together with your husband. And just, you know, many times, some parents are very nosy. And you can, you can just say, you know, mom, right now, I'm studying my new beginning, and if you feel that it's very intimidating, tell it that. Let me just try it. I, you did it your own. I write. I write. I want to do, to do myself a little bit and try it again. That's what you know. But mitzvah kibud avem is very important, and uh, you know this is the uh, the way of. Uh, I believe that you 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 respect and the, the rabbi Mordechai said, ask the rabbi. Is I think it's very part, very important. Yes, Mordechai. I said you wanted to tell about this therapist that uh, 
the, 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 some rabbis. Uh, I didn't uh, want to. No, do, I no, just and, responded by no, text okay, now. Okay, okay because uh, yeah. you know what? Many times you have a different, and I know that uh, other right. therapists are bashing and other con- other right. contractor bashing other contractor, and this that's everybody. Right. It, that's life. Right, it's for those of you that but don't know, this person you. about the one that was saying with the Rav that was knocking the therapist, I'm not going in there because there are so many Rabbanim that are for therapists and with therapists, and if and if a Rav has an issue against all therapists, I understand them as well, and um, we just need to do, we need to have your Rav and stick to your Rav that you work along. If we get over here, another question, someone's a Kala and father's so tough and controlling and knocking and saying, how will you ever... I, I want to clarify over here, we're not over here about bashing parents, and I think this is like everyone that has an issue with their parents, if you would know the amount of times in my office where people make these calls, my father, my mother's so controlling, and then you're dealing with it, and you see the way, unfortunately, it might be a spoiled kid. I, that's that's why I'm not taking sides of you. This isn't parent bashing. This isn't kid bashing. If you've got such a strong issue where you're a kalo or you're a chasna, you're getting married and your parents are triggering you or you're married and your parents are like controlling you. We had a question this week on my phone line where someone said, is it right to burden children in Shana Roshayna with their parents there coming at night for the first, for, for the Sadaram? We need to realize there is a schus to have parents. We need to realize that sometimes parents aren't well. We need to realize sometimes that there are issues going on within ourselves. All I'm saying here is these questions, you must speak to a Rav and you must speak to a therapist in person. Don't send these texts over here. It's like sort of like I'm having chest, palp- chest pains. What do I do? Do I take Advil? Whoa, we get, got to realize that. Um... So let's recognize this concept. Good. You know what? We just filled up all the lines over here. So let's go take a couple of um, questions over here. Let's, you know, while we're just answering all the phone lines. So let me just go over here, read this question while we're taking care of it. Hi, I was wondering if you can talk about therapy client relationship. I've been seeing a therapist for about three years and she's like a mother figure to me. I panic when she goes on vacation or if I can't get through to her. She's very calm about the whole situation. She says that one day I won't need her at all. Why am I so dependent on her? What do I need so much? Ha! Huh. That is called transference in therapy. That's the first things that we probably teach us in social work schools called transference and countertransference. Transference is when we transfer whatever we need or whatever we're looking for into the therapist. That means they become our parents. They become the ones we bash. They become our best friends. We start fantasizing on them. We start imagining that they're the perfect parent. There's a lot of that stuff going on. And that's something that in therapy we try to deal with. I am don't mean now to attack this therapist, but one thing I will tell you, going to therapist for three years and being so dependent, I wonder why the therapist isn't weaning you off or sending you to another therapist. I know I've done that several times with several of my clients saying, you're at a stable level, but now the connection isn't, the healthiness isn't that clear. So therefore, it's time to move on. Let's go take a couple of questions that we've got. Miss S, you're on with Mordechai and her of Nissim. Hi, is it me? Yes, it's you. Okay, it's Mrs. S. Mrs. S, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. A lot of Miss calling, by the way. Yes, um, Miss and Mrs., yes. Okay, so first I want to let you know that the lesson about forgiveness had really changed my life. Okay. In every aspect that's Shaykh to. Um, Can you tell me how? Life. Like, what lesson did you take out of the forgiveness program? Forgive myself. Yeah. And everything else smooths down just like that. That's amazing. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And I want to just add to what you just said about Kibbutz 
So unfortunately, my mother-in-law is very, very sick, and she's not a healthy She's like a mental person to begin with, and I yes. wasn't so nice to her. And let everyone know that I regret what I did, and I'm trying to correct. And I have a lot of guilt about what I did. So chaparain, as we say, until they're well and healthy, and you can still give them what parents really deserve. Yes, beautiful. Um, I just want to do an awareness that I'm doing in my house, and I think a lot of parents could benefit because by me, it helped me a lot and my kids a lot. So I am in therapy, and my therapist has mentioned several times that it's very important for parents to give physical love to their kids, yes. even to the big ones. Yes. And I struggled in that area because the bigger they are, the harder it is. Sure. So I made a some sort of, I don't want to call it a rule, but in order to remember, I asked my kids to give me a hug every day, in the morning and at night. Yes. And automatically, I give back. And it just helped me and changed a lot of things between me and the kids. And I want to give that advice to people who are struggling. And I know it's hard when it comes to teenagers, and and it's but it does work. Good. Can we even add on? Let's add on some more to this to this comment. And let me tell you, in many houses, I would say the more very uh, frumer houses, where sometimes they don't want to hug their adult, let's say if it's a mother hugging a bacher over 13, which I've heard that, or sometimes a father hugging a girl over 12, and things like that. One of the steps I've seen that works fantastic is just touching, just rubbing the hand. You don't it's even true. have to even hug just them. Just in the back, like give a rub in the just back. Just the back, or even when you sit next to them, and even if the hand is just on, just just the hand, just the hand. Sure. Physical touch is is so much. Now, as it's for you, personal. that's one idea. As another idea that to help you out is, have you ever tried hugging yourself? Yeah. It works fantastic, and you can close yeah. your eyes and imagine it's a parent, or imagine it's whatever it is that you needed. But then I know hug. My, my my therapist has sent me to a massage once. Once a month, at least. Yes. Um, because that also helps. Yes, and uh, he, he explained me the cruciality of really giving physical love to our kids. Yes. That they don't go through later in life a lot of stuff. That's right. A lot, many people that now I shouldn't say many, but some people that have sensory issues, a lot, a large part of that is because they didn't get touch as a baby. They weren't given the touch and the physical touch that's needed. It was just. You know, put down, put by the diaper. You know, by with the put down with the bottle and just just done. I it never wasn't, heard of that, but it's interesting. Sure, the physical touch of the kid being touched, the infants being hugged and touched the entire time, not just changing the diaper and not just holding and then like sending the kid on. It's like just touching the face, touching the hands, touching the feet, just rubbing them. Keep on holding them. So when when they're hold- little, it's easy. When they get bigger, it gets harder. Yes, that was my difficulty. And you've, by the way, said a lot about your past, and you've described a lot of that. You know, That's usually okay. I don't care. Nobody understands. No, people would. I'm just saying, as a therapist, I'm sorry. It's just things that I've heard that I can pick up. But the yeah, impo- but I am in therapy, and I'm doing Hashem very well. Exactly, hugs mm-hmm. and touches are so important. It connects. There is a book. There's the famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And in that book, he has a nice concept that he was speaking to a waiter that almost got double and triple the tips of anyone else. And he said the secret is he made a point just to get a little physical touch with every customer in the thing. Like he would either touch the shoulder or just touch the hand. Like somehow make a little connection. He says the minute you got that human touch to a person, it did a you did it's huge. Because now yeah. that my mom is so not well, when I go visit her, I hug her and I... 
hold her hand, and I see the more I do it, the more she's so pleased people really need it. But I felt it made a huge impact on my family, and I wanted people to know that there is a way of doing it, even though it's hard. Yes, thank you. Thank you for creating that awareness. It is so important. And it helps. It is so, so touching. What do you say, Arvinism? I think that a very, it's also kind of very easy task to do when they're sleeping. You know, come in the bed, sit next to the bed, just pet them in the head, say, I love you. And you see what kind of, you know, result is coming, it's giving you. It's with people that difficult to express the feeling. This is the way to do it. You know, they, then they keep Very good sleep. idea. Yeah. Um, I would just, just, um, Arvinism, this, you normally I never correct you. But in this one thing with going to your kids' bed at night, we are in, a, unfortunately, a crazy world. And uh, if I would just tell you the amount of cases I heard where someone says, like, I, I woke up and my father was sitting on my bed or my mother was sitting on the bed. It's a sick world that we're living in that we have to say that. But I would just say for this generation, don't do it. Uh-huh. I, I just want you to know it's I agree with it and I would do it for my kids like I would tell them but. Just, just to say it publicly with today's generation, I, I've heard wives tell me that I think my husband is not healthy because I would see him going into the room and giving the kiss, kids a kiss goodnight, but stay there too long. I don't want to get into it and I don't want to create doubt. And I know it's also for kids. Just just if you do it once in a while or something, but not like like learn how to do it when the kids are awake. That's I think true. yeah, I think you're right hundred percent. You're right. Sorry, no, no, the, you're, no, yeah, you're right hundred percent. The yeah. question like this: What's your relationship with uh, right. with the family? The, 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 I I agree about awareness about this. Yes, yeah. this is a crazy world. That's true. That is, it's it's right. just crazy when when I <laughs> but, hear sometimes uh, if, stories that parents are telling me they're just doing normal stuff yeah. and and people. I'm not getting into that yeah, now. You're right, hundred percent. You're right, hundred percent. You know, I'm. Uh, but I happen uh, to but, agree with Arvindus's concept. The concept is when we can just connect with our kids, just talk to them. You know, just just even when you have even the the older kids, just just to, even on top of the clothing, just their hands, just that that bicep, just you know, you're really special. It's so nice. Just just even one finger, just touching another finger, just that little touch. It's amazing what physical it does, touch it does is. A lot. It really does. And please don't tell people you know a, a lot about them, even when they tell you you're terrible. That's correct. You're good, but don't Thank tell you. people they Got don't it. like it. Yeah, I didn't like it. Okay. All right. Have a good night and really a slough. And I like your line. I listen to it a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Afreilachem Purim. Yep. A sweet Simchadag, a happy Purim. Amen. You know what? There's a question that I got today, Arvindus. Maybe we'll also deal with that two minutes before we take the next caller um, about drinking on Purim. And the Rabbanim say every year and speak out against the drinking and about the teenagers. And I'd like to just create a drop of a healthy awareness out there. And that is, there's the concept, the yeshivas, and those who they have the bacharim drink, there's, there is something to having uh, someone a little bit high, and I should say a little bit letting loose. What's happening that I find is that people drink 10 shots, they never drink more than one shot ever, they get so high and it takes time for it to kick into the system that they turn crazy. It's a chil Hashem. Unfortunately, I, I know someone that goes every single year to the hospital. Hatzalah's got to pick him up. The accidents that happen. And that's why the Rabbanim is saying it's not anymore Kiddush Hashem. It's not anymore a mitzvah. It's chas Hashem and Avera. People are ending up in the hospital. They're breaking bones many times. Just because we don't hear about it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And we do hear when Hatzalah tells you the calls that they have, they're serious. If someone is going to drink, 
please take that three shots, not more or less, or whatever it is that's age appropriate. Let it kick into your system for 45 minutes. If you don't drink, I'm telling you, three shots, small shots, will get there. But but these people that aren't used to alcohol, they assume I have to be high at the first shots. They take 10 shots. And then they're throwing up all over them. They're waking up in people's houses. It's a chilash, health-wise dangerous. Purim is coming. Let it be simcha. What do you say, Rav Nesim? You know, we, in the last uh, four and a half years of Jerut uh, and before, we promote against alcohol. Is that something that we are against alcohol at all? You know, I think it's Chilul Hashem. And what the Bale Musar said is er me'od, 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 me'od. This is the Lashon of this. Four times of me'od with the mashke ameshacher. You know, this is like this is like something that we are really, really against. And I know that for starting from the Kiddush Club up to the Purim, and kids don't know how to think it, it's cool to drink. And then they found themselves in the hospital, chas v'chalila, and causing other people. You know, sometimes it's not for yourself. You know what? Drink how much you want. Sit in the basement. Close yourself in the bathroom over there. I don't care. But when you go to the street or driving or something like this, you can be dangerous. This is danger. You can kill. You can causing other people. Beside this, any gvirim, any gvirim that as you know, come uh, Please don't give the kids any drink. Please give them Coca Cola. Even Coca Cola is poison. But <laughs> giving Coca Cola, give them some seltzer, give them some water, giving them donation. But don't do it. I think it is a very big responsibility. And this is what the Rabbanim are saying. The Rabbanim are saying, have other things out there, just not the alcohol. There are other ways. You got the music for teenagers is great for them. They don't need the alcohol. And even for they themselves, I've had, unfortunately, people tell me, I got the high on perm that I'm looking for during the year. And then they start drinking a little bit more. So just for that, and that person that sent me the message today also asked I should discuss Drinking and medication, please, those are poisons. I, I unfortunately know two people that they were nifter because they just took regular medication with a little bit of alcohol, which I'm saying, let's say strep medication or things like that. It just had a bad reaction. It wasn't strep, but it was something more, but still nothing serious. Let's be aware if you're taking medication, psychotropic medication or any medication, just really be careful about alcohol because alcohol is a drug. It's a drug, and it does have an effect on us. So again, let's let's not have to have those Hatzalah calls. Let's not have to hear from Hatzalah, unfortunately, that they're busy 24-7 taking things in. And also discuss it with your teenagers, with your kids, that they're going collecting. If someone is drunk and the guy is just behind the wheel or he just had two or three shots, tell your kid you'll pick him up. You'll even give him $500, whatever it is. I'm just shooting money. Tell him, be responsible. Tell him, I'm available for you. But let's not risk our lives. Let's not have car accidents. We don't hear about the deaths. Baruch Hashem. We bear, but there are accidents. Just speak to any Hatzalah member. They're busy 24-7. People in the hospitals getting IV for, for flushing out all the alcohol. It's somehow, that's not the mitzvah. That's not where it is. Um, okay. okay. We have to go to Chaim? Yes, let's go to Chaim. Chaim, you're on with Mordechai and Arav Nissim. Hello, Mordechai. Yes. It is very exciting to be able to talk to you. <laughs> Same here. Okay, so first of all, congratulations on your book. And that's also very exciting. And before I start, I want to say something that's funny. I'm not sure if it's funny or sad, but since I'm, I'm also a social worker and I was listening to your show with my six-year-old son, 
And I told him that this is what Tati does also. I help people during the day. And he says, he listens, and he says, Mordechai is much better. So I <laughs> wasn't sure what to make of that. He says, Mordechai, he's much better than you. Uh, but he's six years old, so I left it. But it's a, we'll leave that as a question. Well, let's start with that answer. one. Well, what do you think my kids say about me? <laughs> they do the same thing. You're good, but that one is, remember, to us, we're parents. There's just a reality, just like if someone is many times a Rosh Hashiva mm-hmm. to their own kids, their kids will be saying, but my Rosh Hashiva, where I go to, he's so much better. It's mm-hmm. just something that's in the Bria, that when we get to see our parents, when we're with them all the time, we get to see their positives, their negatives, and you, there's a fantasy about this person that you just hear this one hour a day, or, or you hear about them, there is so much to that concept. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes I even like when my kids listen to me on the radio, I have them call and they get a whole different perspective to me. And when I do it sometimes from the house, they're like peeking in and they're waving and like the image of like the person on air, rather when they see him in the person in the, you know, in, the, in my study room where I do it from the couple of times when I'm in the house, it changes the image. So just understand, I am with you on the same level that to the world, I could be the great therapist and at home, I can maybe be the babysitter at times. Thank you. Or well, the ATM, as sometimes I call myself. <laughs> okay, so my question is that I have very close relatives, some wonderful sisters included, that are very good people, special people, and I'm Baruch married with a nice family, and I have them over for Shabbat and things, and I get this guilt. I feel like I have a hard time accepting and enjoying my pleasures and my gift from Hashem when I see that they don't have it. And I just feel like, how could I have this? How could I, how could I enjoy it if my relatives don't have it? And it really takes away from my enjoyment, from my own family. So let's repeat your question, because this question is a fantastic question. And the question is as follows. If the Rabbi Shalom has blessed you with chesed, he has blessed you with good, Unbelievable. As, as I just heard, I'm trying to remember, who just told me this but when the Rabbi Shalom wants to show someone he cares about them, think of a physical father. When we love our kids, what do you want to do when you love your child? You want to give them the best of everything. So as Avram Avinu, when the Rabbi Shalom tells Avram Avinu, come after me. But what did Rabbi Shalom tell him? I'm going to give you everything. You're going to have money. You're going to have mishpachas. You're going to have kids. You're going to have a godless shemach. You're going to have everything. So when the Rabbi Shalom wants to give us, wants to show us his love, boy, does he know how to do that and give it in the good level. So now what happens is when we're so appreciative of what we have, all of a sudden we start seeing it those that don't have, right? What happens? Mm-hmm. We can now go on the two ways. Either we can start feeling, several ways, either we can start knocking ourselves down. I really shouldn't have this. I don't deserve it because those people are just as good as I am. And if I have it and they don't, that means either Hashem is paying me back on this world or maybe, um, maybe I'm really not that good. Maybe I shouldn't show them or I shouldn't have it. This way they won't feel hurt. We start feeling guilty mm-hmm. for the hashpoys that the Rebbein Shalom did give us. And let's take it a step further. What would happen if we actually worked hard, struggled mm-hmm. for many years, and then Baruch Hashem, now we're starting to see the fruits of our labor. And we're not saying they didn't struggle hard, but they might not have struggled as hard. Or they're struggling as hard, but the Rabbi Shalom hasn't opened up yet their door of success, of Shefa. Mm-hmm. And then 
we're feeling so guilty that we say, you know, let me knock myself down. Let me throw away all the good that I have. Let me go cause a good fight with my wife when they're over there. Or let me mm-hmm. give away all my money that also when the bills come next month and also I gave too much away, shalaika alacha in sadaka, and all of a sudden there's nothing there. And now I'm struggling. Ah, we're struggling. Now I belong part of the family. We've got sorrows. We can, misery has got, um, has got, has got a lot of friends. So how about, that's one way of dealing with it. How about the other way? How about telling the family members, I worked so hard to get here. And with Siata Deshmaya, you work this hard. Let's dive in. The Rebbe will help you get there as well. How about come here and I could be a role model on how it could be a beautiful Shabbos table. How we could sing around and sing Shalom Aleichem and Eishas Chayel. And how about you can come learn from me how a husband and wife respect each other during the good times, during the hard times. How about you come learning from me how I can spend time with my kids? Do we want to feel guilty for what the Rabbi Shalom gave us and knock it down? Because I know many people, for those of you that I've discussed many times, I do on the therapy level, there are different ways. There is on the cognitive level, the conscious level of thinking, but then there's subconscious feelings. The amount of sessions that I work on people to be able to accept Ashpoistavis, to accept happiness, is scary. How our subconscious is afraid for all those guilt feelings, shame feelings. If I'm successful, I need to help everyone. If I'm successful, others will be jealous of me. I shouldn't show it to them. How about let's tie, let's shine. We're supposed to be the Mlechas Kayanam. We're afraid to be a Mlechas Kayanam. We're afraid to shine. Let's learn to, we're doing good, share it with people. I heard from Chaim Kanievsky many times, I've heard other people say at least, one of my clients have told me that when they got better from cancer, they healed. He said, make a Suda Saidah. People only talk about those that were killed, those that were nifta from it. And people think cancer is a death sentence. No, people are healed. But then, I'm afraid to share it with anyone. Who knows what? He says, no, it's a mitzvah to start sharing the hashpoys that the Rebbein is sending. Mm-hmm. So I have permission to fully enjoy it without feeling bad, without feeling like it's taken away from them. Exactly. Now, now that we gave you the logic to that, for the, again, since I'm discussing the word subconscious, it might not have penetrated your subconscious at all. So your logic might now understand that it's time to enjoy it, but your subconscious still could be beating you up, but they're really so sad. And what happens when they make a, a comment, you know, I'm so proud, I'm so happy that you have it, I wish I have it too. Then right. you really feel guilty. You see, I knew all along, now Mordechai had me show it and flaunt it in their face. Mm-hmm. And as for part of it might be, you can share with them. You know it didn't come easy. You know you can still have it. You know, I still struggle. You can, you don't have to limit it, but you can say there is challenges in success. Harav Nissen, would you say there's challenges in success? What would you say about Very this? Very much, and always you just say empathy. You know, something that you you share something that from you pakalach, and you combine it together with a you know a smile and stuff like this, and people can uh, you know sympathy with you, and you can sympathize with their situation. You know, I don't, I, I, if, if. You know, it's always something that looking to you. Oh, but you don't have this, and you and I. I, I have you know. Some people like to feel poor and, and miserable, but when you and you come to to join them together, so try to show that you can do it. Even uh, you know, show from that from your life that if you have your own pekelach, and sometimes it's helping. Nechamat rabim, you know, but you know. Yeah. But we said that. 
is you can say they say show that you empathy about it you know that you have something that to do in common yeah 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 does that answer the question yes well how Thank about you can much. you take it a step further how do you think it would be if you could model to them what healthiness is and healthiness means the trials as well the ups and the downs well, I'll tell you the truth. The one that's younger than me, I feel I can model. There's one that's older than me, I feel like she should be modeling for me, and here I am sort of ahead of her in life. And that's like, how could I even model for her? Ah, so there's a lot of self-image going on over there. Who am I to do this and to do that? Yeah. Right. Now, imagine if age would mean nothing, and it's about how hard we struggle, because sometimes when someone's older, they might be closer to the difficulty, and it's harder for them to change. But when they see younger people all of a sudden changing, so for an example, I have, let's say, on my, on my phone line, there's someone else that now answers questions also on the phone line, and all of a sudden gives me this little push, like, hey, I got to be more consistent. This guy's consistent. This person's at question number 25 or question number 26, and you know, so much else is going on. So it, there's always that, that healthy competition that also kicks in sometimes. And maybe that older person says, if this is where my younger brother is holding, there's chance for me, there's potential. And that might just be healthy. Hmm. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. Who do we have next, Tarim Nissim? Mrs. M, you're on with Mordechai and Nissim. Hello? Yes. Okay, so first of all, thank you for your phone line and your radio show. I really enjoy it. Um, now to my question. I'm Bachasem in therapy. I'm working on myself very hard, and I grew a lot, and I'm coming to a point where I start to see all the unhealthiness in other people. Yes. And I find myself being such a negative person. Yep. Instead of, like, I worked on myself, instead of being positive and seeing my growth, I just see other people's weaknesses. So I'm wondering if there's any way, any tools that I can have that, I can, that you can give me so I can be able to change that. Um, one of the nice ways for you to recognize it is that's part of the therapeutic process, which means the first step is we think everyone is normal and we're crazy. Then we start recognizing everyone's got issues. Then we start getting healthy and we start hanging around healthier people. Then we start looking at the people and seeing all those people as they're like in the rat race or as in that chapter that I was saying in the book that's choosing to live our life versus the default mode where I have over there the story with the famous one where the person, the psychologist, where they put all the monkeys, five monkeys, trying to get the banana at the end they pour cold water bottom right. line is they had five new monkeys in this cage no one knew why that no one's going for the banana and the concept is that everyone's just following the patterns and what happens is yes you are going to notice that so many people are in that rat race they're just trapped however the step comes after that which is called accept we could accept that everyone is where they are on the level because the same way we can understand that as healthy as we are imagine how the rabbi looks at us saying, your boy, if you know how much further you still got to go, and I'm going to get you there. Which means we want to allow everyone to be at their level, thank Hashem that we're not at that level anymore, and appreciate that we still got to grow, because someone healthier than us, looking at us, will still see how unhealthy we are. So therefore, we want to allow everyone at their level. The question is, are you moving? 
And those that aren't moving, they're permitted not to move because as you're moving, it will shine a light. It will encourage others to move. And if not, even if they don't move, they have to fight and wrestle within themselves why I'm not moving. Right. So then I find myself being the one that giving advice to everyone and everyone is asking me and I feel like ah, that's I, it. I don't have I don't have any like I don't have any normal relationships because that's right. That's normal. Once you've gotten help, that's mirroring. And that's something I try to work with my clients. I hear that many times where therapists say, okay, now my client wants to be like me and they're signing up to social work school. And I go, no, 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 no. Part of what I try to tell the clients, I tell them, before you want to become a therapist, help three, four people. See how difficult it is. Then see if you really want to do that, like for a living all the time. And yes, so now that you got help, do you want to help everyone? And people are reaching out to you. And then you're going it's to realize... It's not only that I want, but people, people that know course. that I'm getting help. And of course. You now ask me. That's normal. That's the process. And what you will learn to do is that you'll start seeing how it starts pulling you down. There are several tools that therapists learn how to protect themselves. Self-care, self-protection. And you aren't given those tools. You're going to start finding yourself exhausted. And you're going to start finding yourself almost resenting them. Which is what happens. That's to th- where I'm at right now. That's right. That's, I just want you to know it's part of the healing process. When we go to social work school, that's part of what's discussed. That's why they also give you two separate supervisors, one supervisor from college and one supervisor from your internship to help you deal with that. And it looks like you've gone through the therapy process, and now people are treating you like a therapist, and you're starting to take like the therapist's role, but you don't have the tools now how to protect yourself and how to keep yourself from being drained. So what are the tools? Haha, can't give that to you. We created the awareness. I could, but it's just, it's sort of a process. The simple tool, number one, is to recognize that there are times when you'd like to do it and times when you say, sorry, I just can't. There are times when you got to be able to say, this is out of my league. This needs a professional therapist. So this needs a life coach. Or I could speak to you once in two weeks about therapy, but when I speak to you, we got to be as a friend. With your problems, we got to share it that someone needs to take it over more. I don't want our relationship to become me helping you. And therefore, just clearing, the, clarifying the roles. I became therapist instead of friend. I want to go back to friend. Therapist, I could give you the number right. of my therapist. Or I could give you the number of other therapists. Or I can give you the number of relief that, or echo that refers to therapists. Or we could look for life coaches. Right. I understand. So, I'll let you answer this question. Listen to this one. Um, let me find it over here. Here. Hi. Please answer my question. I found out. I found you quite informative, interesting, and you always have great advice. Please, Hasashalom, don't take my question as a challenge, but is there anyone who you don't recommend to therapy? I feel like this is something you tell everyone to do. Is there anyone who's emotionally healthy? How would you answer that question? Me? Yeah. I would say that most people today's day need therapy. Okay. You see, so you're even more blunt than I would be. What I would recommend is, I don't know how many people need therapy, but I would say we all need a good friend. How many of us have a good friend? Harav Nissen, what actually, do you say? Yeah. Go ahead. What's the um, actually? That some people, they're not ready to work on themselves. So if they have therapy, then it's doing more bad than good. That's very true. If someone is not ready to get better and then they send them to therapists, it's worse, both for the therapist and for the client. Yes. But I, I want to clarify with that question, if people have issues, and they're called normal stuff. That's why those of you that listen to me, uh, one of my big things that I am very for is about people 
having those to open up. Therapists are supposed to be last on the list. They're supposed to first be family members you open up to, friends, Rabbanim, Askanim, life coaches, and only then do you turn to the therapist. Rav Nissen, what do you say to that question? You know what? It's taking me to the other question text. Okay, which uh, one? How does 14 years old makes true friends? You know, Ooh. this, uh, <laughs> we just, we, uh, all is in one, one bundle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now let's go take this exact exact point. No, Arvindus, and even stay on over here. What do we do with a 14-year-old? Would you say it takes a therapist to do that? Do you think you, the parents, would know how to tell your 14-year-old how to make best friends? You see, there are a lot of questions that teenagers have. Now, if we don't have out there the support system for them to reach out, if we don't give the rebeim and the teachers the training how to help kids make good friends, then unfortunately they're coming to the therapist at 18 all alone and depressed. So do I think, right, every, do I think everyone needs therapists? Absolutely not. Do I think we need to better train our parents, better train our teachers, better train the rebeim to deal with the social issues? Definitely. And therefore... Right. What's happening is, um, and I'll share this, I think this is an unhealthy process, that therapists are becoming, taking over the roles of parents, taking over the roles of Rabbanim, Chasushalm, taking over the roles of friends. Like this person that we had before was three years at the therapist. To me, it's quite unhealthy with the amount of level of attachment that's involved. It needs to be worked on. It needs to be broken off. It's an addiction level. And therefore, I think that the previous generation, like the parents and the teachers, they're the one that need the therapy to be able to teach our kids and to become healthy them, themselves in order to build healthy yeah, generations. Yeah, so anyhow, so let's go back to that concept with exactly what you're sharing. Your friends or family members are turning to you for help. You went to therapy, you got some of the basic usoidus, you're now successful in life, and now they're turning into a therapist. And now you've got a couple of good people out there that are shining light, and now you're getting burnt out. And the level, yeah. one of the other steps is for you to, ah, no, we're not going to go there. I'll just tell you this much. When you try to do therapy on friends and family, it's 10 times more draining. And that's why in therapy language, they don't allow us to do it. It's unethical to work on friends or family. You might be able to give a bit of advice here and a bit of advice there and make the suggestion, but actually sit with them week after week and do the inner therapy. It's unethical. And you might be able to tell that to friends and family saying, I got to be your friend. I could give you this one-time advice or, or a lesson that I learned but I can't do more than that. Some some people, some family members, they put me responsible like to help other family members. I know. Everyone loves that. Whatever that goes. Sure. Uh, you know how many people make me responsible on this program over here that I need to do this and I need to do that and that this would be fantastic and that would be fantastic? Yeah, we understand that. Good. Thank you for calling okay. in and for that awareness, you know, about how Thank to get you. help in the balance. Sure. Okay, we have, again, we have Mrs. M. Mrs. M, you're on with Mordechai and Herav Nissim. Yes, thank you for taking my call. My, <clears throat> my pleasure and honor. I really, really enjoy your program, and the topic that you were talking about tonight, about uh, not giving the Bachrim, um schnapps and, and all alcohol, I totally, totally, totally agree with you. And I have a suggestion what you could do, they could do instead of instead of getting drunk. My father, Lev Shalom, never, ever drank on Purim. Instead of doing that, he put himself to bed for a couple of hours. 
yes, it's brought down in the halacha that you can take a little bit and then go to sleep and you're yaitza the adalayada. Yes. No, he didn't drink. He didn't yeah. drink at all, my father. Right. Okay. Now, so that's, he, a, that's a suggestion. You don't have to get drunk. What you have to do is be misameyach, and if a person is drunk, you're not misameyach. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you, we're on here, so it's very dangerous, and like, I don't know, not dangerous, I don't know if we're allowed to say or not allowed to say that much. I personally do think that it's healthy to learn to let loose a little. Unfortunately, this generation, we can only do it through alcohol. That's exactly my issue. That's my issue. You see, like, that's where I feel sometimes like I'm wondering, am I a two-faced when I'm saying, don't get drunk? But, you know, in reality, if, if my son, when he turns 16 or 17, and if I'd let him take one or two shots, you know, would I be would I be someone that's not honest? And I probably would allow my son to take one or two shots. I don't think I would allow my son to take 10 shots. No. And that's unhealthy. One or two is not... Is not I know, but, you know, it's dangerous on the air, and the problem is they don't understand that. And the Rabbanim are saying no, and I, 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 I can't say why, but I, I believe that when you look around what's happening, it's, it became a Chil Hashem. And that's where Rabbanim put Gedarim. That's right. I mean, that's you, have, you have people that are going out to collect for different meisters, and they're doing things because they're drunk. That is a chilul Hashem to the meisters. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's and scary. If you, and if you're yes. going to drink, do it in the comforts of your own house that nobody could see what on earth you're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is the sad part. So it, this, a mitzvah, just like everything else, that if it's abused... It, it just becomes a terrible Chalashem. And today's generation, the Gedolim, all sign together and all say that it's not a mitzvah and to not drink. And that's the problem. We are not mature enough to be responsible. I, I For those of you, I say this many times on here, I do not own a cell phone now. Well, I had a cell phone two years. I don't have it on me because I am calling myself too weak. I'm not responsible to remain with the cell phone on me. Because oh, by I the would, way, just, yeah. just so you should know, yeah. You should have a cell phone in case you need emergency. I'm not saying it should be serviced, but if it's charged up and you need to call 911, it will work. I'll tell you, I, I'm being honest. I found myself too weak. When I had a cell phone, I turned it on just to check that anyone texts me, just to check the emails. Uh-huh. I, I call myself too weak, and then when I see it, I get affected by that. Got it. So, yeah. I, again, I'm not advocating this to everyone. Drop your cell phones. I just found my quality of life, especially that being as a therapist, sometimes people view me as a Hatzal member that I need to be available all the time. Or they would just text me, which I allow them to text and I'll see it the next morning. But if I would get up at night and just look at it and see that, I would then think about the client. And therefore, in order for me to shut down, for me to have that space, I needed to not own it. Now, I do get messages to my email. There's a text number, a Google number, and it comes to my email, and I can see that. But again, having a cell phone on me, when there's that buzz, I found myself checking the buzz. Now, again, I'm trying to share that concept with the drinking today. It's not a mitzvah. We've got two, three days, a couple of days now to Purim. Let's chas v'shalom not hear tragedies. Let's not have those Hatzalah phone calls going 10 times the amount of calls in one day that they get at any other day. Let's break the pattern. And us, the parents, have the power to do that. Speak to our kids. Speak to them about the drinking. Rabbanim, the Rabbanim also have the power to do They this, are, and they are, and they're having the letters. Natsala's got the letters with all the Rabbanim's endorsements. You know, sometimes the, the Rabbanim say... The girls' schools also should have this conversation. It's not only the boys' schools that should have are. this conversation. They do, and they are. They do, and they are. And let's remember... They are not. Let's remember have, smoking. Let's just realize the power of talking. Smoking, it has taken 20 years for society to start recognizing that cigarettes aren't healthy. But for 20 years, they're talking and scaring and realize... 
our words do take an effect. They used to be smoking in yeshivas. They used to be smoking in office buildings. They used to be smoking. Today in Manhattan, if someone says they smoke, they look at you funny. If you say you went jogging for two hours, oh, that's great. The world has changed by talking, by communicating. Programs like this, Rabbanim speaking, parents speaking, parents making the request to the yeshivas, we don't want it, making the request to the Rebbeim. If they want to drink one or two shots or not more, it has to be legally age appropriate. Make sure the kid's healthy. If the kid's drunk, do not let them leave. Make sure no one is driving. Even if they took one shot, they cannot drive. Perm is the one time you don't even take a chance with one shot. Remove yourself. The parent will drive. I've had parents where they told the kids, I am driving you around. Be as crazy as you want. I just want to make sure everyone is safe and healthy. There are things, there are levels that us parents are doing. Okay. Thank you for the information. Ms. Thank Anna, you. You're welcome. Oh. Mrs. S. Mrs. S. You're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissim. That's me. Yes, that's you. Hi. Okay, first let me wish everyone a happy Purim. Yes. And happy. not to get stressed from all the things that have to be done. Oh, so true. Okay, let me ask you. What is this thing that makes a person want to press the elevator button 16 times? <laughs> even though the light is indicating that it's already on the way up. Now, let me ask you, what would you say to that? And when you figure that out, I find myself doing that sometimes. I don't know. It's just like it's a psychological tool to it. And I don't know. It's funny. I happen to like the question and the awareness, but definitely I find myself in that way, too. Um, by the way, I, I happen to have heard from a comedian saying there happens to be a from Jewish thing, by the way, to push the button several times, that when everyone is waiting for an elevator, then you're going to have that one from go over and push the light again just to make sure that it's lit. Uh. But anyhow, I got the idea, and uh, I would say really it's about letting go, that we are, we, we are so fast, Baruch Hashem, and we have the Yiddish cup that we're thinking of so many things that there's just that need to push, that little pressure, that little... I don't want to use the word anxiety, but that need for speed. Mm-hmm. And we got to calm it down. It's okay. If it's lit up and after waiting three minutes and we realize, hey, maybe the button is broken and that's why it's lit, but it didn't come. Uh-huh. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we're going to go to the next call. The number to call in is 718-683-5858. Thank you. You're welcome. 683-5858. And you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weimarger, LCSW, and Harav Nissen. Mrs. B. You're on with Mordechai. Hello? Mrs. B. Hi. Yes. Do you hear me? Yes, we do. Yeah. Thanks for your line and your awareness. I have a question for a child with ADHD. Okay. Um, how much discipline could you expect in the overall... Um, how much gasoline does your car need to fill up? I just want you to realize, I don't know how full your tank is. I don't know the age. I don't know how severe. I don't know, like, all this. Um, he's six, and he was recently diagnosed, so I'm just starting I don't know. Now give me a number from one to ten. How hyperactive is he? Do you know other ADHD kids no, to rate them? No, I just need you to realize, I can't answer that question because it's such a broad question. His bigger issues are he has, like, spurts of 
aggressiveness more than intense um, energy. Okay. How focused is he? How often does he listen when you speak to him? Yeah, he's pretty focused. And we didn't realize the problem till now, so he was well, pretty six years much okay. Old, you're not supposed to realize it till six. Till six, kids <sighs> are very energized and are get periods of, of extreme energy and emotions and all that. It's when the kids start regulating themselves and your child isn't when we start recognizing something might be a little out of the regular. And still mm -hmm. to be diagnosed at six ADHD has to be, it's got to be pretty extreme because six years old, they usually don't diagnose ADHD. Unless there's got to be a little bit more than just that. Six-year-old kids, they still give the benefit of the doubt. So I wonder if your kid is a little tougher than just a little. I'm asking. Uh, I don't know. I'm not exposed to other kids with ADHD, so I don't know. Okay. Well, do you have brothers, sisters, cousins? Do they have children? No. You're like you're like the oldest kid, like the oldest grandchild. No, from the no, south. no. I'm in the middle of a. Great. So you know what a six-year-old kid. So if there's a big family, you know what six-year-old boys do. And you know six-year-old boys are very wild. And okay. Four, so five, a normal six-year-old. So how wild would you put your kids in the normal six-year-old kids? To diagnose ADHD, we need to realize it's something that's not easily diagnosed because, in general, kids' attention are inattentive. They don't stay focused on too many things. They need more action. They're more wilder. That's appropriate for the age. So, therefore, to catch mm -hmm. a kid ADHD at six years old, I want to hear that he was a lot more extreme, not as you're saying it, just a little bit jumpy at times. That's my difficulty. Yeah, no, because I think his bigger problem is the ADD problem. And How is it noticed? Has... Six-year-old boys, you don't notice their ADD problem. Where do you see it? Because I want you to recognize they're not learning much Chumash or much Gemara at six years old. No, because he doesn't have too much patience to sit and say a whole Kvitlach Telem, which he should. He likes to jump around while saying this. So, here's, so what I'd like you to recognize over here is that your kid might be a lot more than just a little ADD because kids generally jump around. And usually the Rebbeim and teachers don't catch it till they're a little older, till they're eight, mm -hmm. nine. So I'm wondering so if your kid is a little bit more than you're just describing it. And that's why I'm not sure on how to guide it. I just want you uh -huh. to realize that for dying to catch ADD, the younger the kid, the harder it is to catch it. Unless the kid is extreme, and then it's so clear. Because doctors hesitate, teachers hesitate to put kids on medication if it's not 100% clear. He's not on medication. They told me to start with vitamins because it's not that bad. Who diagnosed him? Mm, it was actually more of a reading specialist because we thought that was the problem. So he said we should start them... Um, doing the vitamin thing. It's a recent thing. We didn't... Um... Um, okay, so let's, let's start all over again. Could you start again telling me that a reading specialist that's not licensed has diagnosed... He is licensed. He's a, a licensed... Do you call licensed by the state or licensed uh, licensed in a certain certification and knowledge about, about, about reading specialists? Do you recognize that licensed and licensed and certificates... Do you know the difference between a licensing and certificate? Okay, so... Uh, I want to explain to you, licensing means you've gone through the state exams, means you've hit certain criteria. Certificate means I took a course, could be one hour, could be a thousand hours, and I got certified. Nothing recognized by the state. 
Mm-hmm. And this could be, this person could have a lot of experience, but they're still not allowed to diagnose. Just like I dealt today, I just spoke to three psychiatrists, and I told them all what I saw with my clients, and I told them what I would recommend. I think the medication needs to be raised to add on, but again, I don't say it as someone I'm telling the doctor what to do. I am not a medical doctor. I don't know what goes mm-hmm. with what. I could just tell them what I see. I will not tell the, per- the doctor, this guy needs this or this woman needs this and this medication. That's their job. That's their field. If the reading specialist is concerned that your son might be ADHD, they need to send them to a licensed professional that's legally allowed to diagnose because we also know other steps to look for. And make sure that your kid isn't labeled as you might be labeling your kid ADHD when it could be just age appropriate or just a little stress in the family. There are lots of questions that we do. There's a lot of age appropriate that some kids will come to their able to focus, their ability to focus at next year or two years from now. Maybe your kid needs a lot more exercise and releasing and jumping. Maybe your husband is very strict and a nervous man and your son is letting it out of school. There are so many things that when we diagnose to evaluate, we take into account and we ask. We have, maybe it's the Rebbe that your kid is very not getting along with. And under this Rebbe, your kid is having that and now we diagnose your kid ADHD or ADD. Now, I'm not saying the reading specialist isn't licensed. I don't know. Maybe your reading specialist is a licensed therapist and is legally allowed to diagnose. However, I could tell you that I had with one of my kids that there was someone that the uh, teacher went into a pre- into my daughter's preschool and said, oh, you see that kid over there? They have a whatever it was. And I go, and the teacher, like, informed my wife. I called up the teacher and I said, listen here, I don't mean to be one of those crazy fathers, but I know how to evaluate stuff and I'm non-judgmental. My kid is healthy as can be. And tell that person that just graduated... Give it another three more weeks, and sure enough, the person says, wow, you see the changes in that girl because I made the awareness. No, no, no. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. We want to let people that know how to evaluate know to see what's going on, the licensed people to do it. And I still want to say, even when a licensed person gives an evaluation and a diagnosis, there could still be haluka days and people disagree. So I would like to for you, first of all, to walk away with the first thing is, do not say your kid has got ADHD at all. Or ADD. I diagnosed him with ADHD before he... And you are it. not allowed to do that. I'm <laughs> going to be very clear. You might be labeling your kid for life on something that is your issue. If you have a brother that's ADD or ADHD, don't let it out on no, your son. I, I, no, I was never exposed to it. That's I my I want to tell you, problem. stop. That is the issue going on. I'm speaking now from frustration. Please, parents, those of you that are listening, please listen to me. Imagine this, I'm going to speak to you and I'm now going to diagnose you. You know you suffer from anxiety. You've diagnosed your kid and you suffer from anxiety. Now, do you notice how nervous you get sometimes before Pesach? You have anxiety. If I'm going to tell you now for the next 25 times, for the next 7 minutes, for the next 25 minutes on this phone line tonight, I'm going to talk about the lady with anxiety. And next program, I'm going to talk about the lady with anxiety. You're going to start believing you have anxiety. Our 6-year-old kids are precious. And that's why I told you, how could you diagnose a six-year-old kid with ADD? What were the steps? Because chances are your kid is a thousand percent normal. And the more I, I you think, the more I you use... to help him. I he doesn't know. Stop. He has no I, idea that he has any issues. Oh, I stop with that. Stop with that. You're not realizing how you're labeling him in your brain. He's always going to be the kid with the ADD. That's the problem. That's why I do not diagnose people for that reason. Sometimes people come to you, what's my diagnosis? I go, what's the difference? The therapy process is the same. Rabbi Nishlein, we're okay. killing our kids. So what do you recommend me to do now? 
First of all, have you taken let's since we're since we've diagnosed your kid on air, is your husband a very calm person? Is your husband tense? Let's let's He's go very down. Calm. Yeah, let, let's go pick up our sleeves over here. Start diagnosing your kids. Let's start diagnosing your family. Yeah. How's your husband? Very calm. <laughs> very calm. Yeah, tell me about your parents. Which one of your parents are very tough? Very controlling, quietly, but very controlling. You know what? Okay. I don't I don't want to do this. I don't wanna I don't Fine, I got, so there is one, let's one stop, let's stop. Down I got road. triggered over here. Havnison gave me the sign to calm down. Let's I'd like to hang up now and I'd like you just to walk around with your with the advice, with a suggestion. You have a you chances are you have a highly healthy six-year-old energized kid that likes a lot of creativity and now the suggestion that i ask you is to take a parenting course how do you deal with a six-year-old kid that's energized and this is going to take over because i'm triggered over here but take a parenting course how do you deal with an energized six-year-old kid and use the word energize instead of add because it's a horrible word to put for someone that's not and even if someone is add or adhd you can work with it but once you know what it is it's so much simpler than creating our projection onto them and again, very, I don't know many kids that are diagnosed at six years old ADD. I'm being very, very honest with you. Okay, so who should diagnose it? A social who, worker. Who should I trust? Go for a if social the worker. A licensed, who? A licensed, call, wherever you live, call up, call up, um, call up relief. And they will uh -huh. recommend to you to a licensed child therapist, not even me, because I'm not a specialist for children. I have mm -hmm. experience. I'm not a child specialist. And find out who's a child specialist. Now I am off. I have this and take okay. over. Please. Why you have to tag your Thank son? You. Why you have to tag your son? I'm telling you, just uh, a, a six years old is a normal. It's something that we all have. Uh, unfortunately, we all have. Everyone that has a kids as sometimes a teacher, you know. I don't want to say teacher or somebody educator that somehow put a tag on the kids. And this is for I life. I did it just to uh, make his life easier. No, 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 no. You, right, you make, you want, harder. you make your life, you, you, you want to make your life easier. I'm telling you the truth. Just let it grow, release yourself, and believe me. You see that I, I want to tell you. See how a privilege you are, a mother of energized boy, and uh, uh, that as a six, six years old. See this, you know. Unfortunately, you know, many times you can see the, the negative stuff. Imagine yourself, that you, you, I don't know, your son, unfortunately, would, would be, uh, 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 you could, he couldn't move. Imagine yourself, what is it? You know, and we got a text yeah, here. That's exactly the text you read the here. Message. Here's the message. To the question about the ADD, I teach seven-year-olds. Not having patience to say to him is extremely age-appropriate. I would say, yes, having patience is abnormal. Hatzlacha. I, I deal Thank with you. kids. I just want you to realize, uh, again, we're going to go to the next call, is just, your kid might be so healthy, so okay, normal. Okay, thanks. I, I hear. I called to raise my awareness. Okay. Yes. Yes. Great. Thank you. And I'm sorry for that. Thank I'm you. sorry for being triggered like that. And I, I hope you can forgive me. Okay. No okay. 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 Go to Ellie. Ellie, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Hi. How are you? Thanks for thanks. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Yes. Um, I have a question like this. Um, what is your definition of addiction? Once we're dealing with you know, alcohol and cigarettes, I'm probably figuring it's appropriate to ask this type of question. Addiction is a simple level. It's a behavior that's not healthy, that you're not able to stop, and it takes over your mind. Even if you're not doing the action of the behavior, your mind is taken over by that. 80% of your free time means when you're not doing a different task, your mind is going there. 
Now, if you're oh. acting on that already, like smoking, you're not able to stop. You start losing your patience. You start getting nervous until you get that. And then you find yourself needing more and more. That's even on a higher level of addiction. Okay, so my question is this, because I have a friend that came over to me, and he and again, told we me want to keep it as appropriate. I don't know where you're going, so once we deal with the word addiction, I just want to make sure that we're clear, right? We're not going to go anything up. Anything that you wouldn't want your seven-year-old kid hearing, then, like, keep it safely, because we have seven-year-old kids listening to these programs. Okay, thanks for the heads up. Great. Uh, so change it. So then change it to smoking, if you'd like. That's okay. So, okay. Okay, perfect. So let's say, so he came to me and told me that he's going through a rough time, and for that reason, he... Use every the word day, Right, every day before he comes, every day after he comes home from work, he's, you know, he's studying, he's going through a lot of stresses in his life. He was involved in a lot, in a uh, motor vehicle accident, head trauma, etc., etc. Yes. He turns to that, uh, to smoking to help him calm down. Yes. Now, that's the only time he uses it, he doesn't abuse it, and... When I was back when I was in college, I had this debate with my substance abuse professor, and I asked them, what's addiction? Like, I have a beer, uh, or I drink for, with supper instead of soda, or water, I drink a beer. Is that considered over the top? I, I don't need it. I, if I don't have it for supper, big deal. If it is there, great. So now, now I, let's, I, recognize the difference. Getting, let's recognize okay. a difference of someone that is saying, if something is there, I enjoy it. Like, imagine you like Kool-Aid, and if it's there, you'll drink Kool-Aid. I'm just using something like a, a, a normal exactly. system. On the other okay. hand, notice what this person is saying. I am in pain, and this is self-medicating. This is what I need to drown out the pain and the stress. Now, as we know, what happens is, wait, first, what's the difference between what you said and what he's saying? Um, I do it for enjoyment. He does it as a necessity. You don't even think about it. When you open up the fridge and you see the Kool-Aid, you'll drink the Kool-Aid. You open up the fridge and you'll see seltzer. The only thing that you'll take seltzer. You won't even think, oh, what a pity, where's the Kool-Aid? Because in the alcoholism level, in the addiction level, there's something called a dry alcoholic. That's a guy that hasn't taken alcohol, that hasn't smoked for five years, but they think about it. The dry alcoholic is the person that's still thinking about it talking about all day i haven't smoked in six i haven't smoked in six months and three days they're still talking about their smoking wherever mm -hmm. they go that's their conversation and i do recognize the fact that he has come over to me is his idea or his way of trying to normalize it and make it sound like it's perfectly okay that's right now, my only question is what do I tell him? Okay, so first I, step is, so we've established that this guy is an addict, right? Might be a light level, I, low level. I, uh, and I don't even want to diagnose him because we can't diagnose him. I don't want to, exactly, I don't want to label him that because I, I don't, don't know. You to, I need you to recognize what it's possible. Okay. It's possibly an addiction. Okay. And we know that there are many, even the Goyish world top actors that due to, due to car accidents, they took certain medica legal medications, but they're addictive and now they're stuck to, on that. And then, unfortunately, right. became an illegal practice. So, sounds like your friend was in an accident and taking certain things which might have been prescribed legally, but now he's addicted to that. Mm -hmm. Or whatever the behavior is. Doesn't matter how. Medications can be addictive. It's known. It's not well, a... Mm -hmm. it, it's, let's put it this way. It's beginning a lot of hype in the news these days. Um, I don't want to use the word hype. Hype sounds like, like they're blowing something up over... You know, over over describing something. I'd like you to recognize yeah. medications are telling you that there can be no, side no, no, effects. No, 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 it's not. It's not that. It's not that. They're normalizing it a lot. Let's put it this way: it's becoming 
in certain states. I get now what well, you're saying. I understand now what you're uh, saying. Fine. But it's okay. still good. But it's still just like alcohol is legal above the age of 21. But if you're still taking it to medicate the pain, then it's right. still an addict. Doesn't matter if it's Correct. legal or not. The point okay. is how are you using it? Work is a healthy concept. Without work, we're going to go bored. We're going to go crazy. And halacha, right? Hanukkah, it says that you got to work brought down because of maybe day shimum. You got to work. Now, if you're going to work seven days a week, what happens if you work on Shabbos? Chas Hashem, Chayiv Misa. There's a concept when yes, when not. Just because something is legal doesn't mean you're not addicted to it. So he's saying he's not using it a lot or very, very little. Ah, so now your question is, let's change your question. So now you're saying you have a person that is doing something that isn't right or that is self-medicating and the person's in denial. Okay, so first step is raising awareness. No. First step no. is you being aware that this person is very likely an addict and they're going to try to rationalize why it's okay what they're doing. That's the first right. step for you. First, you need to know when you help someone, you need to know where you're standing. And if you're not on the solid ground, don't go there. Okay. Now that you're aware that this person could be an addict and they're trying to justify why it's okay what they're doing, now you need to tell the person, are you ready to listen to the truth? Do you want to hear why you should stop? Or do you want to rationalize to me why it's okay? Harvin, listen, what do you say about this? I don't know if to, to, how to start with this, because when we're dealing with this kind of personality, I, I, when I was young, I had the issue with a friend of mine that uh, had the same issue. And I tried to help him. I didn't know how to do it, you know. One time he reached a time to a problem that uh, I had to take him to the hospital. In uh -huh. the emergency room, the doctor looked at him like in a glitch, and she didn't want to take care of him. I said, what? I started screaming and yelling, what do you want? This guy is going to die. And I, she looked at me and said, this guy is an addict. And just need his, uh, <laughs> his uh, stuff. So I, I'm not going to help him. And, yeah. and you know, I, I realize that I'm not equipped to, to deal with this. And I really, up to today, it's, I, I remember this situation in the emergency room, trying to help my, so-called help my friend. And it was wrong. It's really wrong. I think that uh, these people have to take, to take care of really professional people. You have AAA, you have a different... Uh, organization that's yeah. helping to these people uh, unfortunately the, uh, as, as you said before the, the, the news making it easier but it's not easy to uh, the wives or the friends or the parents you know we get a lot of phone calls a lot of uh, messages that you know the house is broken because kind of this addiction you know they starting stealing they starting lying they starting all these uh, things that happen to this I don't know husband, wife, this, unbelievable, really. So, Be'ezad Hashem, you know, just try to find some really, uh, first of all, take him out from the, the denial that he need help, you know. I just want you to realize, taking out of denial isn't easy. The hardest job of a therapist ever to do is breaking out of denial. 
In fact, those are the clients I usually turn away first because it's months of work, most months of fighting, of battling, and it's a drain. And most of the time they drop out or the only time they'll continue is if they're being forced, if whoever's giving them the money and threatening, I won't give you money or I won't keep your job unless you're going for help. Most of the time, those in denial will not continue therapy and will not want to hear about it. They, they want to rationalize to you and they'll finish off. Do you understand me? Because they're looking yeah. for the validation and you don't want to do that. You can say, I choose to disagree. And he considers himself like an educated individual. We know which... that. We know that. <laughs> some, of the high, some of the most highly successful people were our addicts. One has got nothing to do with the other. All right? So, my friend, just be aware you're treading, you're going into a person that has had accidents, that has physical issues, physical pain, and many times mental pain, emotional pain, stress. It could just be headaches because of that. And that's called self-medicating. When we go to college and they teach us, they teach us very, especially those I've taken you know, several courses in addictions. They teach you the self-medicating, and the brain will rationalize anything to stay there. And you might need a trained person guiding you. Thank you for calling and for creating that awareness. Harav Nissen, who do we have next? Mrs. D, you're on the air with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Yes, it's me. Yes. Yes, hello. First, I would like to tell you thank you for everything you do. You're welcome. And I would like to give you a brucha on, um, I guess, on your title, LCSW. Oh, thank you. I thought you were going to give me a brucha, I guess. Let me just share with everyone, yeah. Um, I get a shtickle of mazel tov that, Baruch Hashem, I've spent over two years and probably ten years of dreaming about it. But I've written a book, and it went to print this week, this past week, and Meretz Hashem, it should be coming out the week after Pesach, I mean the week after Purim, called Alive, 10 Steps to a Vibrant Life that's being sent out, being uh, published by Art Scroll, Shar Press. And I thought that's what you were telling me over here, Mazel Tov. The titles LCSW is, uh, yeah, it's titles. Title. So this is Abrucha, Abrucha for LCSW. It's Life to 20 children as nachas from your children and s siata dishmaya and yes. w is wealth wealth Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Someone also gave me a recently a good brach. They told me that one of the rabbanim went to a medical doctor and said, you should make lots of parnosa findagoyim. So I like that. Someone says, when Mashiach <laughs> okay, comes, right, you should be out right. of business. I like this. Someone says, make all the yeah. money. Anyhow, whatever it is that the rabbanim shleilam should send, thank you for the brachas. Any type of bracha, I daven. I daven. I accept. I daven. And especially, as you said, the S for siyata deshmaya. The amount of times I daven for siyata deshmaya is, is important. I really do. Yeah. In all our lives, yep, we all need it. That's all we need. Okay, my question is a little, maybe it's not, you won't we want to answer. Just tell me if you're not going to answer, because it's for a three-year-old. And, sorry. Um, Just be she, ready. My response might be age-appropriate. Yes, yes, I know, I know. Excellent. Go but ahead. It's, it's not, I don't think it's parenting. Right, that's why I'm assuming why I was going to let you ask my question. Actually, she's my 11th, so I, well, I think I had all kinds of parenting Go questions ahead. ready. Good. So this doesn't sound like parenting good that's why i'm letting um, you go ahead she, she started she's starting to do it i actually realize it now that she has just this a certain perfectionism um thing that she when i when i get her dressed and i roll up her sleeve not a roll up i just get her dressed for sleeve she always makes sure that it matches the two sleeves and she puts put her two wrists together and make sure that it matches and she says okay now it's good because it matches and none of your kids ever did that no. Did you ever have girls before her? 
Yeah, she's my seventh girl, yeah. Kanai Nahara, okay. Kanai Nahara, yeah. So it's, it's she's cute. It's a cute thing, the way she does it, but I'm starting, I'm thinking if it's, you know, something. I'm just, I'm not concerned, really. So I think I'll they, tell you the same thing. Just let go. Give it another year. Yeah. If you still see it for another year, it means this could still yeah. go on another three months, four months, six months. Call me even the six so months I, if it's I, still I should never say, like, pull down your sleeve, even if it's not, you know. You could. You could just let go the way it is. Just just let it go. Wait, you're worried about sneers? You're worried about perfectionists? Yeah. Yes, yes, but she likes to do it oh, on more than top of her elbow. Oh, the issue is sneers-wise. Oh, sneers-wise. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't want to force her if oh, it's actually you can force. a, what a do you force perfectionism. Your what would you force with your kid if they would want to walk her outside without without pants on or without a skirt on? What would you say? I would say you, know, you have to put, pull it down. That's, that's it. Exactly this is the same doing, level. Just, this is what you would do with every one of your kids based on your kahilas. So there are some kahilas with three-year-olds can go with short sleeves. Some I'm, I'm yeah. not getting into now. You it's tr- not so much the short that is bothering me. It's I want to know this, that she's even if it's when if it's below her her elbow, she's always going to make sure that it's even. Yeah. So again, so that's the issue. issue. Okay. So I'm not. That's why I'm asking. Is your question about the sneeze part the problem? Is the perfectionist part? What's your issue? more about the perfectionism, but sometimes if it goes beyond that i want to know if i should force her to pull it down and not make like even make have to make it uneven or or i should like you said let go let's put it this way trust yourself okay what uh-huh. do you think? If it's a sneeze issue, how would you treat if she would be doing something else? Why would you treat other kids if they would that age if they would have if the elbows? If it's a sneeze issue, then I would force it. That, that's what I did till now. I told her she has to pull it down over her elbows, but she still would then go and make sure it's even. Okay. So let, even it, be, she, yeah. so let it be even, and it, then you got time for age appropriate. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, and Fine, we're not going to say anything, just sort of is making faces the entire time. I'm going to ask him not to say anything. I don't know what's triggered over Why here. Why not? Yes, I do. I do want to hear. No, I'm, we're going to keep it because I see the way he's holding his mouth. But anyway, I just want you to know, to me it sounds like just sneers. You treat her just like you treat all the other sneers. What's the age appropriate for your kahilo, for your place? Mm-hmm. And about the perfectionists, just let it go. There are kids that are more prone to be more detail-oriented, and just let it go. If you see it's still more than a year, and if she's fighting you a lot more, then call But back. if you're going for to something else, like if I see there's in a different area? Then maybe discuss with her the ability to let go, and maybe some kids have, like Rebbe would say, istanis, he would do, let's say sometimes be some tanoim of saying the Mishnah is that the, you can take a shower, let's say, during the during the nine days or something, and say istanis, like they're more homophonic, like their body needs it. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. want to allow kids to be an individual as well. So if it's mm-hmm. perfectionist or if they like something a little bit better, we go with their nature. If you feel it's perfectionist, but three-year-old kids, this is appropriate to experiment, to change personalities. And then you're going to start crying, I was so disappointed when she was so perfect. Now the whole house is a mess. What do I do? That's normal. <laughs> that's what I'm asking. That's, that's, that's exactly it's what I'm normal. asking. Let that's them, what I'm asking. Yeah, let them go through the age searches, the age, the age, uh-huh. the age experimentation. Uh-huh. But I'm still interested what Avernison would say. Do you want to? Yeah. He's looking, and the going. fingers are next to that button. Should he raise the mic or not? It's so cute to see this, if you would see what's going on over here. His facial expressions. All right, he I, moved I, I, the button. I, I, I think that we have here a matter of personality. Each kid is Hanoch Hanar Piedarko, you know, with right. teaching. Our, and each of kids, you know, some kids love uh, a colorful. And I saw, I saw it especially with girls. And girls' schools, you know, I, I see that... that 
when we have pushing the pressure on the girls too strong we did get a rebellion and this and, and this is one thing and second it's how we uh, represent this situation of new to what is all about it and the words come from this is very important you know to see that because I I, I found myself uh, in this radio station so many times that kids especially girls coming and rebel against the system of that's newt and all this we we have to face it we are living in Brooklyn we are walking mm-hmm. in the street we see uh, unfortunately our neighbors or you know the people that are around us dressing differently with colorful with all this is it's attractive to these girls right you have to know how to uh, lead them to the right mm-hmm. decision and build a trust and And not in a minute in the first minute that we have a chance and start screaming at them and mm-hmm. tell them mm-hmm. tell them you know oh it's a spritzes and all this stuff that they go mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's nothing against uh, that you know I don't want to, to get into Allah and stuff like this but mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. talking about really that they can she see she can see the other uh, friend she's Jewish and also Orthodox but in a different colors and And why mm-hmm. cannot do it and what they can do this is things that we have to understand and this I'm talking that I uh, uh, think about the patients and the, the, the educator be a little bit more patient really more savlanut to our kids especially today in this generation it's not it's not black and white today you know that uh, mm-hmm. it's not a fashion that used to be like one fashion today is so much so I mean uh, each one is coming out with the individuality and create a little bit style in the air put another flower here and stuff like this you have to get it a little bit peace patience mm-hmm. I hear I hear your point thank okay, you great excellent mm-hmm. thank you so much you're welcome great Harvness and who do we have, have next? Thank Amen. You. yes to you and to everyone Mrs. H. Oh, Mrs. H you're on with Mordechai and Harvnissim Hello. <coughs> yes. Hi. Thank you so much for your show. Um, I have a question on what the difference is between self-esteem and self-confidence. Um, confidence. Because mm-hmm. I see that people ha- can have self-confidence without having too much self-esteem. Yes. I happen to address that in the book, but only one little paragraph, because the main focus is self-esteem. But I'll explain to you. Self-esteem... Esteem means value. So your mm-hmm. self-esteem, how much value do you have, do you hold of yourself? Confidence is the ability to do something in the face of fear. So someone might not have a self-esteem, but they have a lot of confidence to fight whoever is challenging them. Some people can have a self-esteem, but the minute it gets tough, they will not have the power to fight or that confidence to pull through. So they go mm-hmm. hand in hand. Generally, when you build your self-esteem, one of the ways of building it is you're also going to be doing more tasks, which builds your confidence. Some people that have confidence, then you're able to build a self-esteem, and then the self-confidence moves on. But esteem means value. Confidence is the ability to confront, mm-hmm. to keep on moving. So they usually go hand in hand, but they are different. And many times right. people... I thought they go hand in hand, but then yes. I see like... Yes. Excellent that question. A person can, that a person that doesn't have self-esteem... Could yes have confidence? Where do, they get the conf- like, where do they get the confidence from? It could be a nature. It could be you're taught by okay. the family how to have confidence, how to not give up. 
but there's uh -huh. never the inner peace. And that's why when you see some of these people, they're chasing money, they're chasing the covet. They don't have the self-esteem to say, now it's enough. These people that are always mm -hmm. fighting, they have the strength to fight, but they don't know when to calm down because mm -hmm. they don't have the esteem to say, now it's not important to me. Mm-hmm. I'm here. That was very clear, actually. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Glad we can deal with it that simple. The number to call in, we'll take one or two more questions, is 718-683-5858-718-683-5858. You're listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW, and Harav Nissen Hatzadik. Miss L. Miss no, L. No, no, don't do it. Don't do it to me. <laughs> okay, Miss L. You're on with Mordechai and Nissen, Harav Nissen. Hello? Hi, talking to me? Yep, talking to you. Okay. Um, this is the thing. I am a, thank you for taking my call. I'm a second grade teacher, and I'm having a few instances where girls in my class are telling their parents and me different stories and different things. They're lying to their parents about what goes on in school. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, a girl was coming to school with, um, lunch and snack, and she hasn't been eating yet. She's been telling her mother that the reason why she's not eating it is because by lunch, older girls are coming and bullying her, which is not true. She just is not eating it. Um, what would I do in such a case when the parents are asking me what should I do about my kid's lying? I feel like if they're going to punish the kid for lying, it's just going to breed more lying. Well, first of all, we also need to know age appropriate as we always go into it. It's age appropriate for, t for second graders, first and second graders to start using all their imagination. I mean, it's adorable. Mm -hmm. I've got a four-year-old girl, and to hear her tell me stories, or sometimes when we would hear how a neighbor would call up and would say, you know, I took your daughter to school because, you know, where we are, like they carpool to about the fourth, you know, the four-year-olds, and go, oh, you wouldn't know what she said, that she didn't have breakfast because of this and that. She ate. She had a great time. When you're dealing with the classes, what you tell them is you just tell the kid with the imagination, okay, fine. What else can we? Would you like me to speak to the teacher? Can we work out? Or sometimes you can have the, the, you tell the parents, let's not focus on the bullying part. Say, okay, okay, now what can we do about the snack? Do you like the snack? Do you like different snack? Do you like lunch? Maybe, maybe you don't like this lunch. Like focus on the issue. Don't go with the stories and then the kids will own up. Sometimes you'd also mm -hmm. want to know what's going on in the house. Is the kid afraid to tell, are they afraid of one or both the parents? You want to know. But it's also age appropriate at that age to have a wild imagination. That when you catch them with something, to make up, oh, someone else did it to me. In fact, we have adults that do it too. So the more confident we are as adults, the more honest we will be. But for children, when they're so afraid that if we catch them at something, they didn't eat lunch, they're afraid of hurting mommy's feelings, or mommy said, you better eat it today, and then they didn't eat it, their solution might be to lie. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm finding with this, with this specific case. It was... Um, she hasn't eaten it, and she told her parents a story, and her parents called me up, and they put her on the phone, and she was crying, and they said, they forced her, and they said, let's say her name is Hani. They said, Hani, tell me what you said. Hani, tell me what you said. And she just was crying because she was so scared because she knew right. the story wasn't so, true. So let's recognize it doesn't sound like that there's an issue over here where the kid sounds like a little bit the parenting style is a little too aggressive. And we're not allowing mm -hmm. kids to be two-year second graders, which means they'll lie sometimes. Their imagination will run wild, and that's age-appropriate. And just like we allow ourselves to make mistakes, and we're amazingly mirahetta for ourselves when we do it, let's allow our two-year-olds, where that's their job, that's where they learn, where you want to put them at ease. 
So if the parent calls up and you say, no, it's not true, you can tell the parents, just let it go. Just know there's no bullying. We're on top of it. And maybe the kid wants something else for lunch. You know, just, just tell mm -hmm. the parents to relax. It might be the best thing you'll tell the parents. This is age appropriate. She'll grow out of it. Just don't worry. Okay. All right. Just, just you be the the you be the educator to the parents to just relax. Don't have your kid. Your kid's crying. Just say I love you. You're such a good student. You're so special. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. The number to call with your question or comment. You know what? Um. Is seven one eight. We'll take one more question then. Seven one eight six eight three fifty eight fifty eight. I want to uh, say, do you think that uh, kids in this age lying? I don't think, I, I don't like to use the term lying. That's the, right, because the they're not even lying I, yet. They're not lying, you know. That's, it's we, creative we imagination, tag, yeah, or we, or trap them, that they're afraid to tell the truth. I won't call it lying yeah, yet. We tag them, and they're liars. Yeah, this thank is, you. They, they, I don't think that, you know, the teachers... I agree. Don't say they don't use the term lying, you know. That's right. Let's not, is, let's not label people. It, like, it, this kid's a liar. They're not. They're a creative it, image. They're afraid. They're more sensitive. And they're afraid to be told us, uh, or whatever it is. And sometimes they I need agree. a little bit uh, extra attention. That's that's that's, that's right. This that's right. Excellent. Very 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 well said. All right. They want to answer some. Um, we'll go take one or two texts, and with that, we're going to go over here. Rabbi Weimberger, thank you for taking your time to read this text, and hopefully, you'll answer it. When one is in treatment for anxiety and both with both therapy and medication, is it important and beneficial that his or her spouse? Be in therapy or have some sort of guidance. Wishing you atzlach and siyata deshmayin, a list of with Yeshua's and Rafuas. Amen. Um, what I would say is, and here we're going to go back to that question where that person said that, does everyone have to be in therapy? No, I think just getting information, I think the spouse clarifying a little about what a medication is, a little clarification about therapy, is a little understanding that what's anxiety. Sometimes if a spouse thinks anxiety is a mishigas, it's made up in the mind, then yes, and they need a little psychoeducation. Either a rub can give it to them, maybe that therapist, the client's therapist, you know, that could be something. But do we need to say they need to go for therapy? I don't know if we need to push it that far. But I think to get some understanding would definitely would help uh, take along those lines. Harvinus, so what do you say to that? If someone's on therapy... Uh, I think that is very important. Uh, uh, we had also a few texts uh, uh, before about if husband or, or spouse yes. meant to know about issue. I think that a, a couple has to be really one and try to, uh, you know, working together as, you know, that's the whole idea. You know, if it's together... Yeah, you have to build the trust between both sides and you just cannot hide because one day it will blow on your face. It's a ticking bomb. So I would say that uh, you, can, you can ask somebody to help you to how to expose your spouse to the to situation. Oh, but but this in this case, definitely I would tell the, the husband or the wife to take uh, a small course of what is the situation of the husband or wife. On Read a book exactly, or about what's anxiety, like yeah. understanding and it. Understand what, what you're facing. And this is, this is a very, very sacrifice. It's, it's, it's a situation that you have to, to understand. You're living with this. Yes. And you cannot just uh, put uh, your head under the carpet or shovel under the carpet uh, things. And you have to face it. And I think that's very important. Yes. All right, so we're going to go take the last. All right, we'll see what's going on with questions. All right. Mr. Y. Mr. Y, you're on with Mordechai and Herav Nisim. Hi, uh, uh, how are you, Mordechai? Baruch Hashem, amazing. Terrific. 
have a question for you. I, I hope this falls within the parameters of your program. I'm a Rebbe in the lower grades, uh, I mean, under grade five. And there's a boy in my class who comes very often. He says to me, he comes up to my desk, Rebbe, I don't feel good. I sent him to the nurse, good, nothing wrong with him. Every, he's coming very often, Rebbe, I don't feel, Rebbe, I don't feel good. He doesn't look like there's anything wrong, he looks a little bit sad. I mentioned it to the Hanhala of the Yeshiva, and they tell me, yeah, oh, him, the depression runs in the family by them. His other brothers, uh, they have depression too. Yeah. Okay, so what do I do? I brought him up to my desk for Pasa Davening. I try to give him extra attention here. And then I see the smile does come through the dark clouds on his face. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm chayshed that, um, that there's something wrong with the parenting. I don't even know what to do. I, uh, let's say I could talk to the parents, you know. But what, like, what can I do for this kid other than what I'm already doing? So I'd like to share with you a message that I think we got last week. Um, I'm not even sure if it was on my phone line. I just remember getting the message where a mother said that the they changed the boy's yeshiva. The boy wasn't well. They changed his yeshiva and they didn't want to. The yes, no. And the principal said, I promise you I'll take care of your son. And that principal made sure that this kid has got a great year. And from a kid that was sick and not showing up to yeshiva much and missed a couple of years, like a lot of yeshiva for whatever illness was going on, he had such a self-esteem and turned around and was loving yeshiva. And then their question was that he's too pressured. Is it too much? The power of a Rebbe, the power of a principal, the power of a teacher is unbelievable. And what I would say is let's not look at changing the entire family. Let's not look at changing the parents. Who knows what's going on? Who knows if they're the right therapist? Who knows if the kids are on the right medication? One thing I could tell you is one amazing Rebbe giving this kid a position of authority, which lifts a person's mood. Give him that smile. Ask him what's going on. Speak to him a little bit one-on-one. Just doing that level changes a kid's, can change a kid's life forever. And this kid might be the only kid in the family that's not depressed. And if you might even speak to the Rebbe next year ahead of time and tell him, let me give you a heads up. This kid is a phenomenal success. Just spend with him 10 minutes extra. Learn with him maybe on Shabbos a little more. Prepare with him the Gemara. Give him a little job. You'll see how this kid is successful in my class. It's amazing mm-hmm. to change. And you might be able to just change a kid for life. And I don't, even if you don't mention it to the next year, Rebbe, just this year, the power is unbelievable. You've seen this in your experience. Oh, all the time. I mean, I would like you to know, I think personally, one of the most underpaid, and I say this all the time, the most underpaid and from the most vital positions out there are the teachers and Rebbeim. You've got a kid's life, and when a teacher loves the Rebbe, the kid is alive every single day. And if the kid and the Rebbe don't get along, it could almost ruin a kid for life. The same way parents blame the Rebbeim and teachers for ruining the kid, let's realize they have the same power to build, and I see it constantly. Giving this kid a little bit of love and a little bit of authority, give him a power, could change him. Harvnison, you would like to say something. You know, this is uh, this is all it did. Give him some responsibility. You know, this, maybe this kid's never had this kind of re- chance to do something positive in, in, in his life. And just all the time, it gets banged on the head. You don't do, you're doing wrong stuff. You don't just a pet in the shoulder. 
give him something that that it will go, come forward to see you tomorrow morning when he get up on the he, he will run to the school he run to the class I just want to tell a story that I heard about the Hafez Chaim and this is the extreme the other side he didn't want to speak one of the Melamdim in his in his uh, city for many years and this Melamed come to him asking what happened what happened and until he came told him this you remember this libel this kid he told me, yeah, this Melamed told him, yeah, you know, this is, he was a criminal, he was a Capicorus, I said, you know, you know, and I kissed him out from the class, and I, you know, this library, it's become the mass murder in Russia, this is Lev Trotsky, this is one of the anti, uh, you know, g- uh, human person, because you kissed him out from this, so we have a view, you have a responsibility, Basically, to lift and up the power. The, uh, the power, to lift up the kids to a darga, to the level of, uh, you know, big Talmidei Chachamim, big human people, you know, that uh, everything together. And you have also the power to basically to murder his soul. I'm sorry, this is my, my opinion. That's why and we have... And parents have the same, by the way. I'd also yes. like to no, 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 yes, parents. To all of us. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. To all of us, you know, this is what we, that's is all about. J Root Radio. That's what we believe that we're doing. This is the awareness and that so that we can we we can change the world. Yeah. Very thank you. You're very welcome. Just like to read over your message. Is there being a chapter in your book about anxiety? And I'd like to tell you part of the book. What I've done is since I didn't want to address disorders. What I wanted to do is, like, in this book is dealing with all the foundations. I mean, each of these 10 chapters, you'll find are the steps that I use when we heal anxiety. One or all of these is what the person's needed. Learning how to say no, having to have the self-esteem. Recognizing that are you in anxiety because you're following patterns of what people are doing that you don't like? Recognizing another chapter is about the 16 natures that there are. I have now 17 natures that are in there. What are you? Who are you? When you start recognizing who you are, you can break out of the anxiety. Anxiety is about being fast and catching everything. We got to the chapter and slow and steady, just doing it the slower pace. Basically, what I've done is taken 10 theories that I use in almost every client and we put it in the book and we discuss them all the time over here. So I didn't want to have a book focusing on disorders. I wanted to have a book focusing on growth. If you use these steps with Siata Deshmaya, you will see it help you in anxiety and in many other Mordechai, I'm yes. taking. I'm already taking a tent and stand, uh, you know, go to sleep in front of the store, bookstores. Listen, <laughs> I told you, I'm we're getting you, you a book, a signed book, and we're trying to get a couple of more over here for J-Root to be able to give it out on the phone lines <laughs> and on the really, stuff over really here. It's really an honor to, you know, to be part <laughs> somehow. And you're definitely a large part <laughs> yeah. of this, making it and helping it go. Great. So thank you all, Mer May we hear the Gula Shleima come for this Purim, the Klaisul Zeichet Avkimu Vakiblu. May we continue to have Nachas, and we shall have Leyehudim Haisa Eirva Simcha Vasasa Vikar. May we all continue sharing and Simchas together, healthy. Amen and Amen.